Well, we've got a special topic this evening. Zach has been speaking to us about men and women forever. <laughs> men are away this weekend, and he asked me to talk to you about Proverbs 31, man. Right. Now, if I said Proverbs chapter 31, what do you think of? <laughs> women. But I want you to know that there's a man in Proverbs chapter 31, and we're going to dig him out. There we are. God at work on the lump of clay. For nearly 3,000 years, this section from the book of Proverbs has been a source of inspiration for women. The Proverbs 31 woman embodies all the skill and talent and character of the virtuous wife. Each of the 22 verses originally began with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in proper sequence and served as a learning tool and a help for memorization. But Proverbs 31 serves as a compass for biblical family values. The chapter was used as a guide for young girls growing up as well as for young men to help them know what to look for in a wife. Proverbs 31 shows the godly characteristics of the woman you should marry. Proverbs are full of warning about the wrong kind of men and women. So these verses should help single men in their search for a woman of quality. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to that chapter and we'll look through it, some of the key verses there. I want to begin in Proverbs 31.10. Says a wife of noble character who can find. Now, who do you think is looking for a wife? Single men. Why are they looking for a wife? To keep them out of jail. <laughs> a noble woman. Noble women are a civilizing force in the face of the earth. Now, even though this section of Proverbs has been held up as a mirror for women, a guide for women, it also functions as a caution to men not to be lured and deceived by charm and beauty, pretty clothes, cosmetics, and perfume. Those superficial trappings do not make a foundation for a good and stable marriage. A lasting marriage must be built on a more solid foundation than charm and beauty. Our Proverbs 31 woman is a good, noble, and excellent woman. She fears the Lord. She is more precious than rubies and jewels. Now, of the 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, 30 chapters are primarily addressed to men. 22 verses for women, 893 verses for men. Does that tell you something? Why do men need 98% of the book of wisdom? You know the reason. <laughs> Men need the most help. Take Adam, for instance. God made light. He said it was good. God made the sky, the water, and the land. It was good. Plants and trees, sun and moon, living creatures, seas and birds, land animals. God saw all that he made. It was good. Then he made Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden. God took one look at him and said... It's not good. (laughs) 
first time God ever said it's not good, when he saw Adam left to himself, left to his own devices. So how was God going to fix this problem? God was going to make the perfect solution. The Lord said, I'll make a helper suitable for him. I'm going to help him out. Who is this helper that God would create to change Adam from not good to good? A woman. Men need the transforming power of a good wife. In this case, Adam needed a wife to help him rule the earth. Men need good wives. I'll make a helper suitable for him. The Proverbs 31 woman is the ideal wife. She is rare. She is precious as rubies. Not all women measure up to her. She remains a paradigm to emulate the ideal wife. However, the scripture does say many women have done excellently. Now at home we regularly read the Little House in the Prairie book series by Laura Ingalls Wilder. The TV show was embellished from the books that she wrote of pioneer life in the late 1800s. We read the books six or seven times more than I am a Laura Ingalls expert. <laughs> we have made a pilgrimage to dismiss South Dakota to visit the actual town that Laura lived in on the prairie. We visited the Twin Lakes where Almanzo courted Laura. We walked the streets that Laura and Almanzo walked. We wept at the graves of Paul and Ma Ingalls. Laura's mom was exactly like this Proverbs 31 woman. She didn't eat the bread of idleness. She was crafty. She was kind. She was gracious. She was charitable. She was hardworking. She was a woman of faith. And her husband, Charles, Laura's pa, was also a man of noble character. Laura grew up, married Almanzo Wilder. And Almanzo's mother was just like the Proverbs 31 woman in every way. And Almanzo's dad was equal to her. Both men, Charles and James, were hardworking, family-centered, honest, fair, and gracious. Charles Ingalls, James Wilder were respected men in the community and men of solid faith in Jesus Christ. No doubt we'll meet them all in heaven. There's some of the people I want to see first when I get there. <laughs> what I've seen is that when a woman rises to such excellence, her husband is also a man of excellence. Behind every good woman is a good man. Many women are excellent wives because many husbands are, many men are excellent husbands. Now, having said all this, there is a man in Proverbs chapter 31. Who is the Proverbs 31 man? In verse 11, we read, Her husband has full confidence in her. Who is his husband? What can we learn from him? Revised standard version. Verse 28, her children rise up. We discover that a man is a father. He has children. What can we learn from him? Verse 23 says, he sits among the elders of the land. He is a respected community leader. What can we learn from him? We're going to examine our man in these three areas. Husband, father, and elder. Verse 11. We'll start there. <clears throat> her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. We find that our Proverbs 31 man is a husband. There he is. And as a husband, he is married to her. 
Marriage was intended to be a lifelong commitment, not a feeling. He's pledged himself to her in lifelong, monotonous, I mean, monogamous marriage. (laughs) Notice, they're not cohabiting. They're not just living together. He's not a roommate or dropping boyfriend. He's not one of a long string of guys. He's her husband. He's married to her. Her ability to act with confidence and to instill confidence reveals mutual trust. She is not leading a double life. She is not the Proverbs chapter 7 woman, the promiscuous wife who was in bed with any man she could find as soon as her husband left town. The context of chapter 31 is family. Husband, wife, children. Family is God's idea. God invented it. God has the perfect blueprint for a successful family. The biblical principles of family were taught from childhood. They were trained, they were prepared for family. Their goal in life was family. Today, we are trained and prepared for pleasure. Our goal in life as Americans is pleasure. As one of our most famous philosophers once said, go for the gusto. Marriage, in our Western mind, is perceived as a culmination of pleasure. We think marriage is a trip to Disneyland or Club Med or uh, the Love Boat or something. So, when sacrifice, pain, and compromise, misunderstanding, financial problems, sinful nature are on the prowl, people bail out of marriage. Why? Because we're taught that marriage should provide romance. Intimacy, excitement, physical gratification. Marriage built on the premise that its primary purpose is pleasure will fail. Marriage is a responsibility and an opportunity to impart God's wisdom to the next generation. You don't get married to be happy. Now happiness can be a part of marriage. But it's not the foundation. It's not the foundation. Marriage is the school of character. It's the process of learning to live together with two sinful natures. Okay? Come on now. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. None of you guys amen it. Okay? Just... Now, when I read these 22 verses, it reminds me of, and they lived happily ever after. Happily ever after works best in fairy tales. Happily ever after doesn't always work in America. I mean, what happens when you can't afford servants? Financial difficulties occur. What happens when you don't own a home, your spouse is crank, you're taught that marriage is all pleasure. It's no surprise that in America which has perfected pleasure-seeking, that we also have the highest divorce rate in the world. And if the divorce rate in the church is the same as outside the church, it's the same It's to say that the church in America has the highest divorce rate in the world. Now, that's a problem. That should not be. There's a problem somewhere with that, and we want to look at that today. Marriage is a vow. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is for all of our days. Marriage is for God's purposes. So marry carefully. 
Marry for the right reasons. Don't marry for charm and beauty. Marry for vision and values. What is your vision for life? What are your values, your core values that you carry with you? If you marry in a hurry, you live with worry. <laughs> now the reason we want to discover our, our Proverbs 3.1 man, we want to view him as a mirror so we see areas in our lives which need improvement. This is not entertainment. This is truth, and truth is a challenge that we want to live out in our lives, in our daily lives. I have a long way to go, so my jewel assures me. However, we'll continue on in the correct direction. So what kind of husband is he? In verse 11, it says she has his full confidence. In the RSV, it says the heart of her husband trusts her. The heart of her husband. He trusts her. Down in the core of his being, he trusts his wife because she trusts the Lord. And this trust allows her to fully express her capabilities and skills to the maximum level. His confidence gives her ample opportunity to make important day-to-day decisions, even to purchase property. Notice, as you read through that chapter, as many of you have, you'll notice that she has full reign of the house. She's not lonely. Bored, caged up, barefoot, and fearful. Look at what she accomplishes in this environment of mutual trust and confidence. She works willingly. She travels to get the best deals. She gets up early. She provides food for her household. She has servants to manage and money to invest. She buys land. She plants a vineyard. She buys and sells in the marketplace. She has time to help the poor. She makes quality clothes for herself and her family. She laughs. She's kind. She teaches with wisdom. She takes good care of her family. Could you imagine this woman with a a car, a computer, and a cell phone? (laughs) This woman is not some whimpering, maltreated, cringing slave waiting anxiously for her master to come home and think for her. He trusts her. She is completely free incredibly active. The Proverbs tell us a soul is torn by trouble. A broken spirit who can bear. Perverseness breaks the spirit. By sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. A downcast spirit dries up the bones. Does our Proverbs 31 woman sound like a broken spirited woman? Does she sound torn, troubled, sorrowful, downcast, and broken? Why? Because our Proverbs 31 man has been good to her. He's an excellent, loving husband. He sees her as rare, far more precious than jewels. He trusts her. They coexist in an atmosphere of trust and harmony. This is a functional home. A truly biblical home is a peaceful and productive home. Now, our Proverbs 3, one woman is very active. I'm quickly overwhelmed by how hard she works. I'm exhausted. Just reading about what she does all day long. She works harder than a plumber. 
Now, do you think she was submissive to her husband? What does that tell you about submission? It doesn't mean slavery. It doesn't mean subjection. It doesn't mean subordination. Submission doesn't mean that husbands should treat their wives like some trail boss on a cattle drive. Do you remember the Rawhide Western with Clint Eastwood? Remember that song we sing at the beginning of it? Now, many men believe that this is what subject, sub, submission means. Roll them in, roll them out, hit them up, hit them out, raw hot. <laughs> Get those doggies rolling, rolling. <laughs> Move them on, hit them up, hit them out. Move them on, hit them up, raw hot. My favorite part. Don't try to understand them. Just rope them, throw them, brand them. <laughs> Soon we'll be living high and wide. Those are disapproving. Keep those doggies moving. Raw high. <laughs> Some men believe that the word submission means they can treat their wives like cattle. However, a woman would not work this hard for a creep. She works with willing hands. She couldn't, wouldn't thrive like she does in an environment of physical and verbal abuse. The Proverbs 31 man does not stifle his wife. Physical, mental, and verbal abuse do not produce trust and confidence and willingness. Her willing productivity tells us that this home is righteous and just. This home is peaceful. The fact that she lives in this environment of confidence and trust gives her the full opportunity to utilize her talents and capabilities. He trusts her with all his heart. She's worthy of that trust. She's not the Proverbs 7 woman sleeping around with every guy she can find and her husband's out of town. They've got a sacred trust, a mutual trust that sexual fidelity brings to a marriage. It's a spiritual bond of trust. We find in verses 11 and 12 that her husband lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She brings him good. He lacks nothing. Does that sound like a life of drudgery? Does it sound like she's oppressed? She works willingly. Do you think she likes her husband? Do you think he's a likable kind of guy that she would want to bring him good all the days of her life? Does it sound like they're working together? Do you suppose they agree on the direction their family and lives are heading? These are not, these are not two people living together with different agendas. One wanting to do one thing, one wanting to do something else. She's got full confidence in him. He's got full confidence in her. She's worthy of his respect and honor. He's worthy of her respect and honor. This doesn't describe two timid people with a file full of prenuptial agreements. <laughs> trust. Trust is a wonderful thing. She equally shares the values that he lives out in his life. These two are equally yoked. 
One of the major causes of divorce is disagreement over core values. Yet these are not two confused people. They're not two people at war with each other. They're not two people in a boat fighting over the oars. They're not two people in two different boats playing bumper boat. They're two people committed to God's way, each pulling their oar in harmony in the same direction. They have shared values. They have shared vision. Verse 12 says, all the days of her life. Does that sound like till death do us part? Sounds kind of like that, doesn't it? This is marriage. It doesn't say, I'll give you the best seven years of my life. I'll give you the best two hours of my life. <clears throat> marriage is permanent. All the days of her life. All the days of life shows that it's a life style. Not a quick fix. Not a temporary arrangement. Not an illusion. Not something on trial. Not a feeble attempt. But an inner conviction. Now, <clears throat> There are no problem marriages. There are only problem people. To do things God's way, divorce doesn't need to be an option. Have you ever heard of anyone who got a divorce because they're too kind to each other? Oh, darling, let's get a divorce. Okay, honey, you can have everything. No, sweetie, please, I want you to have it all. <clears throat> a Gallup poll found three or four women agreeing that if they could turn back the calendar, they would not pick the same husband. However, our Proverbs 31 woman is not looking for a way out of this relationship. This tells us something about him. He's the kind of guy his wife can pledge to bring good to all of her days. All the days of her life. Now realize that they've been married for a while. He's got kids. He's an elder in the city gate. Yet after all this time of being together, she still wants to willingly committed to him all her days. Now what does that say about him? If your wife could do it all over again, would she still marry you? Are you the kind of guy that she would recommit herself to today? Are you the kind of guy that she'd remarry today? Painful question. If there's any hesitation to enthusiastically answer yes, it's due to hardness of heart. It's due to disobedience. It's due to ignorance of sin. If the answer is no, we've missed God, haven't we? Yet her husband was worthy of her, worthy of her respect and devotion. She would do it again. This woman was able to be so open and giving and achieve so much because of the character of her husband. And we know that he who loves his wife loves himself. We do ourselves a favor by becoming this kind of person. Next, we discover that our man is also a father. He has a family. He has children. They're his kids as well. He's not birthing children illegitimately all over the planet without bearing full responsibility for them. What are some of the basic responsibilities? See, you got children. Got some basic responsibilities of a biblical father. There's at least seven. To provide adequately for his family. It's in your notes. To assume loving spiritual leadership of the family. Diligently teach and train his children. It's the father's responsibility to impart biblical values to the children. It's not the responsibility of the church. It's not the responsibility of the state. It's the father's responsibility. To number four, to properly discipline with purpose and love. No discipline, no peace. To defend and protect the family, to prepare 
children for productive work and to participate in the selection of a spouse. I put that one in there. We can assume that <clears throat> the Proverbs 31 man was this kind of man. He has fully embraced his biblical job description. He was probably a farmer, like most. He owned property, had servants, had a well-functioning home. His family and household are fed, clothed, cared for. This means that he was gainfully employed. What does this tell us about him? It tells us that he was not squandering his income on gambling, drugs, prostitution, pornography, laziness, drunkenness. The fact that this woman could go out and purchase food from afar shows that he gives her a sufficient budget. She can buy wool and flax and travel far for groceries because he provides financial stability. This tells us something about him. He is a decent manager of his finances. He has finances to manage. She's not home, wringing her fingers, worried, sick, that her husband will spend the family income on foolishness, or expensive recreational toys. The fact that she can work with eager hands and bring food, plant vineyards, make clothes, speaks of a stable home life. Single men, men in general, we should be working toward financial stability. It's very tough today in our society, isn't it? Very hard in our culture. Man's effort. We find in verse 20 that the Proverbs 31 woman is generous. What can we learn about him from this? The fact that she is so charitable. Now, do you think that she is sneaking around giving money to the poor? Do you think? No. The Proverbs 31 man allows her to give money to the poor. Her charity is an extension of his own. I know many women who would like to cheerfully give offerings, but their husbands won't allow it. They refuse to allow their wives to contribute to the needs of the church and to help ministries that help other people. But here's a generous man who understands the power of blessing others and helping others. He's not like the rich man who wouldn't get a crumb of bread from his table of the poor. He's not like a rich fool who selfishly believed that all his finances and all his wealth were for his personal luxury and comfort. Mine, mine, mine. My name is Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. <laughs> if this woman could give to her poor, to the poor, her husband encouraged it and most likely modeled that generosity in his own life as a wise man. And this generosity would not be possible for a mom whose husband is failing his financial responsibility. Our man is not a troublemaker. He is not greedy. He's an honest man. We don't sense any trouble in this home, do we? We don't sense the squandering of family finances on wickedness and foolishness and status-seeking. We want to look in verse 25. Look at this verse. She is clothed with dignity and strength, strength and dignity. She can laugh. She can laugh at the future. She can face the future with confidence. What does this tell us about our Proverbs 31 man? A lot. 
Do you think she would be so bold about the future if her husband was a drunk? Wasting the family money on foolishness, drugs, gambling, pornography, prostitutes? Do you think she could laugh at the future if her husband was cruel and mean to the kids? Do you think she could laugh if her husband was a renegade, selfish, out-of-control monster? Do you think she could laugh at the future if her husband was verbally abusive and oppressive? She can only laugh at the future because of the kind of man he is. She can laugh because her man is stable, committed to God, morally faithful, hardworking. The incredible difficulties of life become laughable for a woman. She can laugh. Our man has not caused his wife sorrow and grief. She's not worried sick what hubby will do next. Where is he now? Will he come home? What will he do with the family money? Will he even make any family money? If she's able to laugh at the future, she's standing behind her godly man laughing. It would be impossible for an abused and unloved woman to laugh about anything. A husband who can give his wife such confidence in the face of life's trial and difficulties is truly a remarkable man. How many wives can laugh at the future? How many wives can laugh about anything? How many women have enough confidence in their husbands to laugh at the future? Now we should ask a question. Does our man need to be this way? Is there an irresistible compulsion for him to be a biblical man? No. He is conforming to the biblical pattern that's tested and true. The biblical blueprint for family still works today. Our culture says do what you want, when you want. It's all about you. However, our Proverbs 31 man has built his life, his family, around God's blueprint. He's not doing what he wants. He's doing what is best. The reason most men don't match the Proverbs 3. One man is because they're doing what they want, when they want. And selfishness is self-destructive. Always. And now our man is doing what God wants, and what God wants is best for everyone. It's a blueprint of choice. It's God's timeless wisdom. And it's learned. You have to learn this. It doesn't come down on a night cream. Our man is this way because he understands that God's paradigm, God's method for family is better than any model the experts in Egypt, Athens, Babylon, or Washington, D.C. can construct. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpassed them all. We're looking into his window at home. The Proverbs 31, dad is at home. Usually we think of the wife as the little homemaker. But I propose that our man is also a homemaker. He's just some recreational beast coming home late to Hotel Hilton snapping his fingers for room service. Where are they when the children rise up and bless mom? Children rise up and bless mom. Where are they? At home. 
Now, when my kids rise up, they're at home. Here's a glimpse of our guy at home. He's home with his kids. The kids don't wake up wondering where dad is. Kids have a dad. Kids know their dad. The dad in the home is becoming a novelty. This isn't mother's live-in boyfriend. Kids don't rise up and find another note from dad away again. Mom isn't some single parent with a deadbeat, runaway creep. This is dad at home. He isn't the absentee father. He's there. Now, what do the kids say about mom? Let's look at it again. Bobby. What do the children say in verse 28? Children rise up and call her blessed. Blessed. The word blessed means level, stable, happy. The kids confess that mom, mom, you are stable. You are happy. You are awesome, mom. You are great. Mom laughs. Mom speaks with wisdom and kindness. Mom fears the Lord. Mom is blessed because she obeys God. Notice the kids are sitting together with dad, discussing what a wonderful mother and wife they have. Kids will be happiest in a truly biblical home. These are happy people with a substantial and solid home life centered around biblical values. This is a warm and happy house, which tells us that a truly biblical home should be a refuge. Home should be a safe place. The fear of the Lord is in this home, and where the fear of the Lord is, that home is blessed, it's stable, it's happy, it's peaceful. And for many of us, a home like this exists only in fairy tales. But this is God's will, this is God's plan, a safe and happy home. How much pain could be eliminated from this room and from the world, if families model their lives after God's principles. God only wants his best for people. We also discover that our Proverbs 31 man is not a hypocrite. He's not leading a decent public life in front of people and a dark, secret, private life of sin and pain at home. We see him at home with his wife, with his kids, we're looking into his window. Home is a good place. The kids are safe. The kids are not cowering in fear, cringing in the corner in fear of dad. He's not some angry volcano waiting to erupt. A renegade, selfish, violent monster. The kids speak blessing. They express themselves out of the abundance of their little hearts. Their mouth overflows with admiration for mom. They're speaking to one another, expressing warmth and love and admiration. Wow. Now, where do you think the kids learn that? You think they learn to bless on their own? Every parent is a teacher. It's profound. His one memorable quote speaks volumes. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. He praises her. The word praise means to shine, to, to make a show, to rave, to boast. He raves about her. He is appreciative of what she does. He acknowledges her contribution to the family in front of the kids. He knows what she does is not trivial or inferior. His words are a reflection of his heart. We see his heart from his words. 
He praises her. Does he sound grumpy? Does he sound mean-spirited? Does he sound happy? He validates her and her hard work. I want to tell you that honest appreciation will do wonders. And our Proverbs 31 man is a wise man. There's a positive use of words that produces positive results. We'll never regret honest and sincere encouragement. Amen? The man says, Honey, out of all the women in the world, you surpass them all. You're the best. I know I'm, I am more challenged by encouragement than I am by discouragement. Discouragement deflates. Encouragement elates. So why don't we encourage more? Why don't we encourage one another? Why don't we encourage our spouses and our children? Why don't we encourage the pastor occasionally? Encourage your friend. Encourage, encourage, encourage. If you just did that one thing, if you only heard that one word tonight, and if you left here and you did that one thing, it would make the world a better place. If you committed yourself to the ministry of encouragement, this world would be greatly served. But encouragement is hard to do, isn't it? If it was easy to do, you'd do it more often. Now, do you think it was nice of him to say, Honey, you're the best? you think it was nice of him? Of all the choices he could make for his one memorable quote, he chose encouragement. These are the only words we hear from him in this entire chapter. Our man of few words raves about her in front of the kids. And to her personally, the Bible says he praises her. You surpass them all. It doesn't say she surpassed them all. You'll notice that he actually told her, you surpass them all. In front of the kids, through her personally. He's building her up. And he does it in the hearing of his household. Not only does he speak a blessing to his wife, but he honors her in front of the kids. Now what does this do for the security and stability in the home? It's often said that the best thing a dad can do for his kids is to love their mother. Do you think that dad's encouragement of mom does anything in their little hearts? Every kid wants to see mom and dad getting along and having this warm kind of conversation. The kids learn to bless mom from dad. Our man's respect for mom is a powerful lesson. We have a small window of opportunity during which we can mold and impact the lives of our children that God has entrusted to us. And my most important times of teaching and interaction with my kids have occurred in spontaneous moments. We're walking in the park, we're in the car, we're, we're, have, we're home at breakfast, we're fishing, working around the house. Now this kind of lesson cannot be taught in Sunday school. Find some way to encourage. Find some way to speak positively to her, about her. Your honest appreciation makes life valuable. Do you detect any hint that this woman was degraded or treated as inferior by her husband? Do you detect any hint that her husband demeaned her? He praises her. He raves about her. This is a wise man. Verse 30. We're almost there. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. 
Now, a truly beautiful woman is a woman who fears the Lord. The Proverbs 31 man is not demanding that his wife be a high school hard body. He doesn't measure her value against a Playboy pinup. Face the facts. No one keeps her shape forever. Character gets better skin wrinkles. The man who doesn't see the true beauty in the fear of the Lord is a blind man, a shallow man. Man, we need to release wives from our expectations of the cultural definition of beauty. Cheerleaders, pinups don't impress the Proverbs 31 man. Faith, diligence, joy, kindness, loyalty, integrity, impress them. Anybody can be beautiful. You can buy it in the store. But it takes the fear of the Lord to have the beauty of noble character. This woman is wise. This woman is kind. These are the adornments of true beauty. The world's standard of beauty is not our standard. Proverbs 31, man is elder. I don't know how long I can stand up here and talk like this. You know how hard it is to stand here this long and talk this long? Let's look at verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. This tells us a lot about him. He has become a respected elder. Elders were heads of family. An elder in most civilizations represented authority. Better than those who were thought to be best qualified to rule. In ancient times, elders were the civil authority. Every city had its elder board that sat in the gates. The gate was a place where the administration of justice and disputes were settled. The city gates were the centers of government and commerce. Princes, judges, sat in the gate to discharge their duties. Where do we find our man? In the gate. To sit in the gate meant that he was a prominent leader in the community. He is known in the gate, which means that he has a good reputation. He is respected. Our man isn't known in the gate of the city as a derelict, a thief, or a womanizer. He's earned his seat at the gate by his character, not by votes. One does not become an elder at the gate by being a fool. Proverbs 24, 7, wisdom is too high for the fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. The fool has nothing worth saying. What do we learn about our man? In the gate, he's a man of wisdom, he's a man of integrity, he has things to say. He is involved in a community beyond family and church. He's making a difference in his world. He's taking his biblical responsibilities seriously. Now this spills over to the next point, which is the men at the gates and the woman's ability to shop. In verse 14 and 16, we learn that the streets of the city are safe for women to travel, shop, and do business. Now, what would make the streets unsafe for women? Hmm? Bad men. Who would rob women? Bad men. When men are good, women are safe. (laughs) 
She can travel the open road, bring food from afar. She can buy a field, not be ripped off. She can go to town, supply merchants with the products of her home industry. This is a woman who lives and moves without fear. She's not worried about robbery, drive-by shootings, rape, and rip-offs. This is because righteous men rule at the city gates. When God, and when God's values are removed from the gates, people live in fear. When God is removed from the home, the schools, business, and government, people live in fear. We put bars on our doors and windows. We buy alarms. Uh, security systems, road jack, the club, pepper spray, guns. The fact that she can travel safely and do business without fear tells us that the elders who sit at the city gate are doing a good job. When God's righteousness prevails in the city, in the nation, people are freer, safer, happier, stable, move without fear. Righteousness exalts a nation. It's a blessing of God that results from obedient men that allows women the freedom to shop. When righteous men leave the city gate, it opens the floodgates to wickedness. When righteous men leave their seats at the gates, those seats will be taken by wicked men. When the Proverbs 31 man is not at the gate, the Romans 1.31 man will be there. Senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. When men are committed to God, family, biblical values, they take them to the home, the city gates, the streets are safe for women and children. Our man is known at the gates for his noble character. The streets are safe. He was a quality father, husband, civic leader. Even some of the best Known Bible heroes do not do as good a job as this guy. Wouldn't it be great if all men were like him? Working hard to provide a warm, safe, peaceful home, a trusting environment. Wouldn't that be a worthy goal in life? Let us work hard, gentlemen, to measure up, to be encouraging, forgiving, loving, understanding, wise, kind. We should never give up, should we? No. We must move ahead. Let us keep on trying. As we seek to emulate the biblical model in our lives. What do we learn about our man? We find out that he was a homemaker. He was a homemaker. He had uncompromising faith. He wasn't a double-minded man. He was stable. He blessed his wife. He was active at the gate. He was necessary for the family and his wife. He was a dad to his kids. Let us all learn to be people of God who live out the proven timeless principles as recorded in the owner's manual. Do you think God knows anything about this? Sure. He's the architect of the whole thing. We don't have many models of a decent dad and husband nowadays. Very poor role models in our society. Here we have a great one. Now we know that good is better than evil. 
So let us reject the values of our culture and personal interest to produce families and lives that live out the principles that construct wholesome and happy homes, streets, nations. Amen. Amen. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, worship team come back now. The presence of God is here, isn't it? Let's stand and present ourselves before the Lord. Let's worship together. And as we do, let's say, Lord, here am I. Fill my life, Lord, with your presence. Let your truth find a place in me. And give me the strength to live it out. Amen?